Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Amen, amen. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. I said it's good to see all of you. Smile or do something, you know. Hope you had a good week. Hope you had a good week. We had a great weekend last weekend, right? We uh, had a, a move toward uh, something we've been working on a long time. We have God's man coming to work with our youth, Dylan Honeycutt, and we did it with 100% affirmation, which we believe maybe the first time that's ever happened, right? And uh, and so, man, what a great experience, and we want to thank our search team so much for the hard work they put in for those 13 months. And you know, we we prayed. We, we asked God to give us direction. Uh, we prayed during the process of all of this, and we even asked God to give us direction as we changed directions, and God did that. God gave us the direction we needed to go. God affirmed all these things. God's answered all of our prayers, and so I, I just think it's been a great growing experience for us as a church together. I think it's been an act of spiritual maturity for us as a church together to walk through this process and to see what God's done, and then to come together in 100% Unity on that is awesome. So I want you to be praying for Dylan and uh, his wife, Katie, son, Barry, as they come begin their ministry here um, on the first week of March. All right. We, we say that little prayer all the time as kids, right? We learn it when we're, when we're really young. God is great. God is good. And we usually thank him for our food at that point, right? But I want to say God is great. God is good. And thank him for what he's been doing over these last several months because he really has been good to us, and we, we, we know that he has. And we're going to continue to need to uh, seek God's direction, continue to pray, continue to seek his face moving forward, continue to stay unified. Uh, met with our uh, budget and finance team this past couple of weeks, uh, met with our church council this last week, and, you know, we still have other staff members that we need to get. And so moving forward, we feel like the wisest thing to do is this first quarter, uh, less than 60 days now left in it to uh, just kind of see what our giving trend is. And right now it, it is good and it's, it's trending upward. And so we uh, believe God's going to continue to move us forward. God's going to continue to bless us. But we believe it's the wise thing to do to see what that trend's going to be and then to launch out in our next phase of moving forward with our staff people. And so uh, just continue to pray, continue to seek God's direction in all this. And, and God's preparing uh, the way for us even right now. We know that. We believe that with all of our hearts. Now, today we begin, as you can see, a new doctrinal series on the doctrine of grace. And it's called A Culture of Grace. And today, uh, our message is entitled Understanding Grace. Because, uh, you know, grace is, uh, other than sin, it's one of the most preached about topics out there, right? Uh, and so it's definitely one of the most sung about topics. And, uh, and so sometimes we have a lot of misunderstandings about grace. And so we want to get a better understanding of grace. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead. It's going to take you a minute to get there. It's find the book of Genesis chapter 1, all right? Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first book of your Bible, the very first chapter. And while you're finding that, uh, you know, grace, uh, we talk about a lot. As a matter of fact, we name our kids Grace, right? And uh, I'm looking at a Grace there, and I have a granddaughter named Ella Grace. And we've been graced with many graces in our churches. And so even though we talk about grace a lot, we still have some misunderstandings about grace. And, and it's still one of the most misunderstood foundational topics of theology 
that's out there. So our goal today is to get a better understanding of what grace really is, or at least to reinforce the proper understanding of grace that you might already have. And because it is such a popular topic, I'm probably not going to give you a lot of information that you don't already know. I mean, I might, you never know, but uh, chances are you probably already know a lot about grace. You've already heard a lot about it, but if nothing else, maybe we can all through this series at the end of it, at the end of this month of February, that we'll come to that point in our life where we're not only having an understanding of what grace is or a better understanding, but we've made a commitment. And that commitment is that we've made a commitment to live in a culture of grace. Because there's a difference in knowing about grace and living in a culture of grace. You know, my mentor, Frank Whitaker, who uh, is still a preacher, he's a retired pastor, but he's still preaching at churches in Alabama. And uh, he used to go around saying all the time, he'd go around saying, you know, I don't understand all I know about that. I don't understand all I know about that. So I learned early on to not understand everything I knew about that, right? And, um, and I think that's definitely true when it comes to the topic of grace because a culture of grace actually means that grace is a part of your fabric. It's a part of your essence. It's a part of your daily lifestyle. And I don't know whether we really live in that or not. And so we understand, though, that grace in your understanding of grace really comes from your understanding of the God of grace. Who you think God is makes a big difference about what you believe about this doctrine of grace. And so for whatever reason, I've met so many Christians along the way. I mean, these are fully committed Christians. They're very devoted. Um, But, you know, for whatever reason, they just had trouble understanding what grace really was. And and so a lot of people, they just have these views of God that aren't always accurate, right? They're just a little bit short-sighted sometimes. And matter of fact, some of them are really off-center, okay? And those are the tricky ones. Those are the ones that um, you get in this line of doctrinal thinking that kind of has a good bit of merit to it. It has a lot of truth to it. But if you were to carry it all the way out to the end, it really doesn't add up in its totality. And it's really not going to take you where you want to be in accurate theology. But a lot of people get these false uh, ideas about who God is. For example, I can understand where an atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins would come up with this idea of who he thinks God is. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, pestilential, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now you try saying that, okay? I had to practice that a lot. That's a mouthful. I don't know if he missed any negative adjectives or not because he got a lot of them in there. But that's his view as an atheist of who God is. And you know what? If you read through the Old Testament and you start looking at it, you could come up with this too, right? But we have a different view. We have more of a complete picture of who God is. And so I see God as a completely different God. And so if we're going to gain an understanding of what grace really is, we have to have a proper understanding of who God is. We're going to need to define grace according to what the Bible says. And, and you know, there's a lot of definitions for grace. There's been a lot of theologians out there across the years. Like I said, this is one of the most preached about subjects out there, but there have been a lot of great 
definitions for, for grace, right? And, and so I want to give you at least three today, and you can pick the one that you really like best. But I grew up with uh, grace understood from an acrostic, right? The letters G-R-A-C-E. That's how I got through college and seminaries. I made an acrostic for everything so I can remember it, right? And so I grew up learning that grace stood for God's riches at Christ's expense, God's riches at Christ's expense. That is, everything God has can be mine because of what Jesus did on the cross. God's riches at Christ's expense. Then another one said, the free and undeserved favor of God. So it's a gift that we don't deserve. And yet God gives it to us anyway. And then, unconditional love that goes beyond what's fair. And in this month of love, this Valentine's season, right, we, we're thinking about love a lot. But you know, the love that we think about is always, almost always conditional. You got to do this and you got to do that and not do this and not do that in order to earn the kind of love that somebody wants to celebrate or reward you for. But grace, according to this, is unconditional love that goes beyond what's fair. So even when it's not fair, you still get it. And like I said, over the years, I've met so many fully devoted and committed Christians to God that just could not wrap their head around this. They just couldn't accept this free gift that God wanted to give them. And maybe you're sitting out there today, or maybe you're watching by television or listening to the podcast, and you're that person that says, I still don't know, and I still don't understand how and why God would love and continue to love somebody like me who is so unlovable. I'm so unlovable. How and why would God continue to love me? And you have trouble wrapping your head around that. And so the heartbeat of this series is I want us to understand that God, uh, this God that many view as hateful and vengeful and, and unconcerned and all these negative things, is really not that kind of God at all. But rather, he is a God that is full of grace and he invites us to live in a culture of grace that's going to be life-changing both for us and for everybody else around us, right? Because when we are living in a culture of grace, it makes a difference to everyone. So to do that, we've got to go back, though, to the very beginning, right? We've got to go back to the story of Adam and Eve, and we've got to go back because we need to understand why we need grace to begin with. I mean, why do we even need this free and undeserved favor of God? I mean, what did we do? You know, where, where did things go wrong? Why do we need unconditional love that goes beyond what's fair? I mean, where, when did things turn uh, unfair? I mean, what all brought all of this on? Why don't we deserve love to begin with? And why is grace something that I don't deserve? I don't, I don't understand where it even all starts. So to do that, we've got to go back. And I know many of you have read this story hundreds of times, others of you, though it may be a little bit unfamiliar to you. So regardless of where you are, I want to challenge us all to look at it through this different lens today. Don't, don't read the story or let's not look at the story from the point of sin, but let's look at it from that new lens of grace today, okay? And, and, and that's what I want to challenge you to do. In verse um, 26 of chapter 1, Genesis chapter uh, 1 Begin in verse 26, it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. 
So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And so as Christians, we have read this so many times. It's the, it's the beginning, right? It's the story of creation. And, but have you ever wa- stopped long enough to wonder why God created to begin with? I mean, he's God. He didn't need to. So I think it stands to reason that he chose to. He wanted to create us. And so when he did that, at the end of all of it, he said that what he had created us, human beings, it was good. And it wasn't just good for God. He didn't need it, but it was good for us. It really was. And so as we go back and we look at Adam and Eve, we understand that God created them very uniquely, right? And he distinctly distinguished man from woman when he created us. And he created us with the capacity not only to love each other, but to love the God who created them. So we have been created with this capacity to love. And they lived in a place in a world called paradise, right? They didn't have need for anything. Wouldn't that be great not to need anything and just watch Netflix forever? without ever stopping or whatever you enjoy doing. I mean, not to have a need in the world. And they only had one rule. Teenagers, can you grasp that? Just one rule. Look, we only had one rule at our house with our kids growing up. That was you obey all the rules. All right, that was the one rule, obey all the rules. All right, but their one rule was this. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge. Not just any knowledge, but the knowledge of good and evil, right? And that was their one and only rule. Now, what happens next is exactly why we need grace to begin with. So if if you're trying to figure out what's unfair, where all this got started, here's how it happened. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Flip over to the next chapter. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So here is our first understanding that we need to grasp concerning grace. And that is sin is more than a mistake. Sin is more than a mistake. Now, a mistake is dropping your cell phone in the toilet, right? Now, how many of you, be honest now, you're in God's house, tell the truth. How many of you have dropped the cell phone in the toilet? All right, God bless you. I see those hands, all right? Now, how many of you planned on doing that? All right, two teenagers back there raised their hand because they thought it meant an upgrade, all right? But uh, that, that didn't work out so well. They just had to go without a phone for three months. But, you know, we don't plan on it. That's a mistake. It's something that you don't plan on doing, but you end up doing it anyway. It's unintentional. It's not on purpose. Now, have you ever noticed how we try to do that with our sin even these days? You know, we mess up. We sin. We disobey God. We go, oh, shoot, I made a mistake. You know, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't really plan on doing that. But, you know, if we are honest, that's not really true. And Adam certainly knew better. God had given them very clear instructions, right? So what Adam did, what Eve did, was a contemplated, very calculated act of disobedience. And we now call it sin, right? So here's something that's very important to grasp as we're talking about this thing of grace. And that is, we need to understand what God's response was to the sin and disobedience. I think we've got a grasp on disobedience and sinning, right? We're pretty good at it ourselves. But what was God's response to their act of disobedience? Look at it and flip on over one more chapter to chapter three. 
Chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. It says, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So not only did Adam know the one rule, but Eve knew the one rule. And both of them chose of their own free will, contemplated, calculated choice to disobey God. And when they did, sin entered into the world because we know that they ate of the fruit. So we're going to skip on through that part, go down to verse eight now. After they had sinned and disobeyed, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God from among the trees in the garden. Then verse 9, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, That is Adam. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, That is God. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. See how that worked? Then verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, who is this, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and so I ate. See? And so this is our second understanding that we come to concerning grace. Not only is sin more than a mistake, but God's response to sin is what we're studying. It's the doctrine of grace. God's response to sin is grace. So immediately after eating from the tree that was off limits, they were aware of their nakedness. They had entered what we know to be sin, and they had the knowledge that they had messed up. They knew now good from evil, right? H have you ever blamed God for your bad choice? <laughs> yeah, I see some of you shaking your head. Some of you certainly we have. We've, we've probably all blamed God at some point for the bad choices that we've made. You know, God, if you just done this, or God, if you just did would have stopped that, or God, if you hadn't allowed this or done that, you know, we, we blame God for our bad choices. And we come by it naturally, right? I mean, that's what Adam did. Verse 12, he blamed it on the woman that God created for. He said, she's the one who did it. You know, if it hadn't been for her and you were the one who created her, I wouldn't have eaten of it. I'd have left it alone, man. I was doing fine until she came along, right? And then God comes along and said, what's your story with it? Well, the serpent, the serpent, you know, he... He's the one that tempted me to do it. And, and so, you know, I ate, you know, and then I gave it to him and he ate, you know, we all ate, you know, and that, that's the way they kind of came about it. And this is where faulty theology kind of begins to creep in because this is where a lot of people, a lot of people will say, you know, that's, that's the God that I know. He's the one that put that tree there to start with to try to trick you. And then when he tricked you and you fell for it, then he got mad at you, and he doesn't love you anymore because you mess up all the time. And that's where a lot of people still are today, is they still believe that every time they mess up, that God gets mad at them, and that God doesn't love them anymore. Many of you watching today by television, you believe that. Some of you listening to this podcast, going down the road, you're thinking, that's me. That's me. Every time I mess up, I think God's mad at me, and he doesn't love me anymore. But was that God's response? To sin. No, it was not. You know what his response was? It was grace. That is God's response to sin. It is grace. You know what God did? This is good, folks. God gave them what they didn't deserve. That's what he did. 
God gave them what they didn't deserve because in verse 16 and 17, remember, what was it they deserved because of their act of disobedience? For if you eat this day, you will surely what? Die. They were supposed to die that very day. So if God was going to be fair, he would have taken their life that day, but that's not what happened. See, God chose forgiveness over being fair. God chose forgiveness over what was fair. God chose to give Adam and Eve grace, which was completely opposite of what they deserved, right? And see, it's God's grace that allows us even today for you and I to stay in right relationship with God because God's grace is still extended to us. We still are not getting what we deserve. We get what is undeserved. And, and that's what caused God to start looking for him to begin with was his grace. That's why he went after Adam and Eve and he stepped out and he said, where are you? And so that brings us to one of the biggest questions about Christianity and about God in general. And that is, if God is so loving, if God's so loving, what's, what's the deal with all this punishment from God when we sin? I mean, where's the grace? Where's, where's the stuff that, I, that I'm not getting that I deserve? You know, where, where did all that go? I mean, uh, I, I don't get it. And that's a great question. It really, it really is. And so that brings us to the final understanding that we need about grace, and that is this. Discipline is an expression of God's grace. It really is. This discipline, this punishment that came on Adam and Eve, it's really an expression of his grace. Look at it in chapter 3, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen your pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you verse 17 and to the man he said since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat the ground is cursed because of you all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it it will grow thorns and thistles for you though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made for you were made from dust and to dust you will return so clearly grace God's grace is not letting us off of the hook when we sin and we disobey God it, sin always has consequences but look at God's response here to Adam and Eve he says the woman is going to have suffering during childbirth. The man's going to have to work hard to make a living. There's going to be hostility now between woman and man, and thus marriage was invented, right? All right. And then the ground that produces the food that you're going to eat from, you're going to still be able to eat from it, but it's going to have thorns and, and stuff growing in it that shouldn't be there. Don't eat that stuff. It's going to have all that junk in there. You got to get in there and work to clean out. It's not going to be like it used to be. I mean, they paved paradise, but they didn't put up a parking lot, right? They just got rid of paradise. They're no longer living there. I mean, in a nutshell, it's going to be tough from here on out. And that's the world that we live in. You say, well, that's, that's pretty harsh, man. Those punishments he doled out, that was pretty, pretty rough. But wait a minute, what was it supposed to be? What did they deserve? Right, they deserved death. That was to be their punishment, but they didn't die. See, God could have wiped the slate clean. He could have gotten rid of Adam and Eve that day, created another man and woman, but he chose to show grace 
in the form of these curses. And so that's the natural question that comes up next, right? Why all the curses? I mean, I, I don't get it, Brother Nicky. Sometimes I can't see God's grace for all the pain that he's allowed to come into my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, that resonates because some of us have been there. Many of us have been there. We, we feel like sometimes that God has not been very graceful. He's, he's, he's caused a lot of pain. He's allowed a lot of pain to come into our lives. And so see how our theology can kind of get warped and wrecked a little bit. We can kind of get off course. But see, we need to understand what curse really means in the Hebrew. It's not like what we think about when we think of curse. Curse, curse in, the, in the Hebrew means some, uh, surrounding someone with obstacles. Surrounding someone with obstacles. Why would we do that? To protect them. It's, it's to render someone powerless to resist is what it means in the Hebrew. And you know, every good parent disciplines their child, right? Now, those of you who are children or teenagers now, I understand you don't see it that way. You just see it as the curse that it is, right? You have parents and you got to do what they tell you to do. And you know. But from the parent's point of view, we see it as discipline, not a curse. We see it as discipline in that we're trying to teach our children that when you disobey, that there are negative consequences, but when you obey, there are positive consequences. We're trying to teach our children that. We're not trying to curse our children. We're not trying to rain on their parade and make their life, you know, a living hell, so to speak, but we are trying to show them grace, right? We're trying to show them the love that we have for them. So, in this situation with Adam and Eve, when he disciplines them instead of destroying them, as a result of that, grace came into the world because, you see, the world was now going to be different from this point on. It was never going to be the same again, and we live in it right now. And that is, it was going to be a world of sin and death. The consequences for their act of disobedience was that our days would be numbered and that we would die. At some point, we're all going to die, right? Unless the Lord comes back. That was the punishment. And so that's the world we live in, is a world of sin and death. But grace, see, stepped in, and it became discipline instead of destruction. Do you see that this morning? Maybe for the first time. Grace came in in the form of discipline instead of destruction. Now, let me ask you a question this morning, and be honest. Aren't you glad that God didn't destroy you the first time you messed up? And the next, and the next, and the next. Yeah. I mean, if God had destroyed us the first time we messed up, there wouldn't be a person in this room, right? Because we've all messed up. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad God doesn't destroy me every time I mess up. But let's take it a step further, okay? And this is where it really hits home, at least for me. Aren't you glad that God not only doesn't destroy you, but aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve? Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you really deserve? Yeah, me too. I love the way Andy Stanley puts it in his book, The Grace of God. He says it this way, and I quote, Grace is the vehicle God uses on occasion to ensure that we get precisely what we don't deserve. Grace is the vehicle God uses on occasion to give us precisely what we don't deserve. I'm so glad that that's the God that I serve. 
I hope that you can begin to wrap your head around it through this series, The Culture of Grace, that God doesn't want you just to know about grace. He wants you to live in it each and every day and that God's not this vengeful God that's out to wreck our lives. It's really totally opposite of that. And so as we unpack this for, for this month over these next several weeks, I hope you'll get this view of grace that that won't that that'll become a part of your fabric that'll become uh, an essential part of your life that'll become a daily part of your lifestyle that you're living in grace and so today's action steps are simply this number one realize that your personal sin realize that your personal sin is against god is more than just a mistake number two realize that god's response to your personal sin is withholding what you really deserve Every single day that you get up and live life, God is withholding what you really deserve, right? And that's something to lay your head on the pillow every night and be thankful for. And then third, maybe you're going through a time of discipline in your life right now. Maybe God's showing you grace through discipline. Understand that accepting that God's discipline in your life is his grace in action. If God's disciplining you right now, just understand he, he's not punishing you. He is living out grace through what's going on in your life. That he came looking for you. He still loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to understand his grace is what allows you to stay in right relationship with him even today. Aren't you glad of that? Do you know of someone else outside of these four walls that's outside of our viewing uh, area that might need to hear that? that might need to know that that's the God that we serve, that they might need that kind of love in their life? If so, won't you look for ways this week that you can show grace, God's grace, something that's undeserved, something that, you know, can't be earned. Just show grace this week. Let God take it and use it. It's a beautiful gift of God, this thing called grace. We just need to receive it and then keep giving it out to other people. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful today for this gift of grace that you've given us. God, we can't earn it. We really don't deserve it. We sing about it a lot. We've sung that song many times. But God, we, we need to learn how to live in a culture of grace. That, that's what our world so desperately needs right now. Because we live in a world that is not full of grace right now. We are so bent on giving people what we think they deserve. We are so full of hate because we think somebody's not getting what they ought to get coming to them. But God, you have brought grace into the world. It's your way of responding to our mess ups. So God, as we continue to mess up each and every day, thank you so much for not giving us what we deserve. And God, please help us this week to give away to others out there what they so desperately are looking for. And that's your grace. May it permeate our lives even now. May we become the kind of church that because of grace being lived out in our lives, that it changes us and we in turn take that life-changing grace to other people. God, make us that life-changing church you want us to be. God, change us. 
Help us to accept the grace that you so freely have given us. In the name of Christ, we ask it. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.